0: Looking at Mark chapter three. So, if you'd like to go with there, with me, please. uh, If you've got your Bibles, Um, if you want to put the scripture up, uh, Nick, it's Mark chapter three, verse twenty-two to thirty. Now, this is one of those portions that you don't really want to preach on, all right? Because it's not the most easy for people to grasp. And I'm going to try and be um, as clear as I can this morning, um, and as simple as I can, because it. It really does contain a very, very important um, verse, which sometimes has disturbed people. And I say that because I've been leading in church now for uh, over 30 years, and people have asked me about this verse. In fact, at the prayer meeting before, Sandra was just saying that she was thinking about this verse. In verse um, uh, 28, it says, Truly I say to you, all sins will be forgiven, the children of men. But whoever whatever blasphemies they utter, but whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will never be forgiven, but is guilty of an eternal sin. And so what does that mean? Uh, can you ever commit a sin that is unforgivable? What does it mean to blaspheme the Holy Spirit? What, what does it mean to uh, never for, be forgiven sin? And I've, I've had people ask me that before, and I hope by the end of this um, Message, you will have a little bit more clarity and understand for yourself what, what the Scripture means when, it's, when Jesus says that. But uh, let's look at the, the, the whole context. Uh, so from verse 22, it starts in verse 20 by saying that even Jesus' family are saying, you're crazy. You know, what are you doing, Jesus? You're crazy. You remember he's going around and he's um, doing all these amazing miracles and signs and wonders. And at the same time, there's a growing opposition to his ministry, particularly from the religious people, from the Pharisees. And here today is another example of that. Remember, we looked at some other examples last time. And he has a further example of the opposition that Jesus is facing from the Pharisees. And it says here, And the scribes came down from Jerusalem, saying, He is possessed by Beelzebub. So they're saying Jesus is demonized. He's possessed by the devil. And by the prince of demons, he casts out demons. And they called him and said, uh, And he called... called them to himself and said to them in parables, How can Satan cast out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom will not stand. And if a house is divided against itself, that house cannot stand, but is coming to an end. No one can ever enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man. Then indeed he may plunder his house. Truly I say to you, all sins will be forgiven, the children of men, and whoever blasphemies, whatever blasphemies they utter, but whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit, never has forgiveness, but is guilty of an eternal sin. For they were saying, "He has an unclean spirit." And so, uh, Jesus is the first three chapters we've seen already. Jesus has called his disciples together; they have become a family with him to learn from him, but also so that he can send them out all over the world. Uh, they're sent out as ambassadors with this kingdom message that is demonstrated through the healing of people from disease and sickness. And uh, they've, Jesus, everywhere he's been going, he's been demonstrating the kingdom. And so this portion today comes just before chapter 4, and if you look ahead, you'll see j- chapter 4 talks about parables, and we're going to look at that in the new year where Jesus says the one parable that helps you understand all the other parables is the sowing of the seed. And we'll look at that in chapter 4 in the new year. But this verse can cause people great concern. What does it mean to commit an unforgivable sin? Uh, Have I ever committed an unforgivable sin? Uh, Often I find that people, when they look back on their lives and they regret some things that they've done, deeply regret some things that they've done, and they honestly are reflect, reflecting on their lives, sometimes they ask this question, well, have I committed the unforgivable sin? Sometimes that comes from a real hard-heartedness that they've resisted Lord the Lord for, for so long, and that comes back to haunt them later in their lives, and they wish they hadn't done it. Done it. And then they, in those moments, uh, when these memories are sh- seared on their hearts, they kind of start to reflect and think, well, have I any, done, ever done anything that cannot, cannot be f- forgiven? So I want to say this is not just an academic question. This is not just um, a technical question. Uh, If you really do believe the gospel, this is perhaps the most terrifying question you could ever ask yourself. Because we believe in the grace of God, and we believe in the kindness of God that draws people to repentance. So therefore, it's a good question to consider. Is there anything that possibly would get in in, in the way of that? But... uh, I hope now that we'll get some clarity as I go forward. So, is there really an unforgivable sin? Well, verse 29 says quite plainly that there is. Whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, but is guilty of an eternal sin. I'd just like to make three comments about that, and then I'll move on to the next point. But what we're talking about here is God's forgiveness, all right? That's really, really important. Um, the sweetest news for anyone is that God forgives them. And when I first realized that for my own life, it was like a weight was taken off my shoulders and, and there was a, comp- a wonderful peace that pervaded my heart when I realized for the first time that truly God forgave me. And that's what it means to be born again, that, that sense of His presence, His, His power that comes as you realize that your sins are gone and they will never be seen anymore. And that's a joyful message to proclaim. And it follows then, if that's the good news, the bad news is that God will never forgive you because um, he's ultimately the one we have to reckon with. Uh, and so what people think about this is really, really relatively unimportant, but what God thinks about forgiveness is absolutely important. The second thing, observation I'd like to make is that when God says never, he really means Never. Um, Jesus is speaking here and he says that God will never forgive anyone who blasphemes the Holy Spirit. And I've I've had many uh, experiences in my life of of different people who have said to me, I'll never forgive you. And uh, you've got to live with that. Uh, But we know that we can carry on with our lives. And actually, there are lots of people in our life that do love us. And so when someone says, I'll never forgive you, it's okay because you can, you can walk, you, you, you don't, don't want that. But if they say that, you know that you can carry on and it doesn't really matter that much that God will add to your life and that you'll move forward. But if God ever said to you that he never forgave you, that truly would be absolutely, I don't even know how to say it, um, tragic. Tragic. Because where, who, who, to who else can you turn if God doesn't forgive you? Uh, and so Jesus is not also, do you notice, Jesus is also not saying here that we will receive, not for, receive forgiveness in this life, but will receive it in the eternal life, because it's not what he's saying. He says quite plainly, whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven, either in this age or the one to come. So that's why Mark uh, calls this um, an eternal sin that we will forever be under God's judgment if we blaspheme the Holy Spirit. And so, it's quite clear that there is something called an unforgivable sin. But what is it? And uh, the context of Mark gives us a lot of help. Because do you notice that the, the, the Pharisees have arrived in this portion, accusing Jesus that he actually is possessed by the devil And that the miracles he's doing are actually because it's demonic power that is um, manifesting those miracles. That's the context in Mark. They say in verse 30, this man has an unclean spirit, which points back to verse 22, if you're following, which says um, of, of the scribes and the Pharisees that they say of Jesus, he's possessed by the devil. So even Jesus, as he responds here, do you notice this, that he doesn't even accuse the Pharisees of committing an unforgivable sin. He hears them saying of his power that he's demonstrating that it's demonic power, and he's warning them. His response is a warning to the Pharisees. He's saying whoever, whoever um, confuses good with evil and ascribes the power of the Holy Spirit to the power of the devil, is in danger of blaspheming the Holy Spirit. So even in this situation, Jesus doesn't even accuse the, the Pharisees. He just warns them and says, watch out for what you're doing. You are, you're, right now what you're doing is on very shaky ground. This is a terrible point that Jesus is making. And so remember the fullness of the Holy Spirit hadn't come yet. We know that in Acts 2, the Holy Spirit is poured out. So when Jesus talks about the Holy Spirit here, he must be talking with a Jewish understanding. Well, what did the Jews believe about what the Holy Spirit did? Well, simply two things. They believed that the Holy Spirit revealed all of God's truth to us. So it was impossible to know anything of God or his truth without the Holy Spirit. But secondly, most importantly, for Jewish believers, the Holy Spirit enabled people to recognize the truth of God. In other words, when God's truth entered your life, you recognized it was the power of the Holy Spirit that was bringing that truth to you. And so I say that because sometimes when we don't exercise our faculties, we lose the ability of those faculties. So in other words, to use an example, if you, um, if you stayed in the dark long enough, you would lose the ability to see so various animals that are, are, are restricted to caves and never see the light begin to lose their eyesight. Or, for example, if you were in bed for months and months and months, you would lose the ability to walk because your muscles would atrophy and you would have to be trained to walk again. If you refuse to do any study and to read, eventually you even lose the power to study, the ability to read. And so what Jesus really is saying to the Pharisees in the same way, he's saying, if you refuse to recognize the guidance of the Holy Spirit in your life, in the end, you become incapable of even telling good from evil. Yes, in our culture, that's very, very important. People have so hardened their hearts to the Holy Spirit now, that even the to distinguish between right and wrong and good and evil seems very difficult for many people. And good and evil is so relative, some people call some things good that are evil, and some people call things that are evil good. How can that be? It's because there's been a hardening in the heart to the person who brings revelation of what truth is, and that is the, Holy, that is the person of the Holy Spirit. And so that's what Jesus is saying to these Pharisees. If you can look at my life and call what I'm doing evil and say that the source of what I'm doing is evil, then you are in very shaky ground. You are on a very, very shaky foundation. That's what Jesus is saying directly to the Pharisees. And then I do want to say this, that we need to look into, in the context of what the Scripture says This particular verse, um, that verse 28. All things will be forgiven to to the sons of men, and whatever blasphemies they might utter. And you notice it doesn't have any exceptions here, saying that all our sins will be forgiven. And then verse 29 is saying, but if we blaspheme the Holy Spirit, we, we are in danger of eternal judgment. So what is verse um, 28 mean then? All sins will be forgi- forgiven. Well, uh, if you look at the context of all of the Gospels in Mark chapter 1 verse 4, it says, John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness preaching a message of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Uh, Mark 1:14 and 15 says the same thing. Jesus came into Galilee preaching the Gospel and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom is at hand. Repent and believe in the Gospel. And then numerous other examples in Acts Uh, and the message is quite clear, for anyone to receive forgiveness of sin, there must be repentance. There must be an acknowledgement in our hearts that we turn from one thing, and we embrace the grace of God, and begin to follow him. So when Jesus says in in, in this verse in 28, that all sins will be forgiven uh, men, and whatever blasphemy they enter, it means every sin that you can possibly commit or blasphemy you could possibly say from which you genuinely repent, you are forgiven. And so for anyone who's come to faith, anyone who's come to Christ, it means that whatever your background, whatever you might have said or done in your past, it's absolutely gone. And when you come to Christ in faith, those things are never seen again. That is good news. And so... The converse of that is Jesus is saying this, that if you deliberately reject the way of salvation, if you deliberately reject the promptings of the Holy Spirit and the kindness of God, and you continuously push those away and you refuse to respond um, uh, to them, then you will not be forgiven. In other words, he's talking about unbelievers. He's not talking about believers. He's saying if you reject the work of the Holy Spirit in your life over and over and over again, you can never come to repentance. And when you cannot come to repentance, you can never be saved. So if you're a Christian this morning, you can breathe out and relax because you're not guilty of any sin that is unforgivable. All your sins have been forgiven. And this is the good news that we believe. So then what puts someone against? Beyond repentance, if that's if 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 verse twenty eight and twenty nine are correct in what I'm saying, well, quite simply, it's it's just that which uh, stops you coming to repentance. That is what is unforgivable. And so, if we get into anyone gets into a state in their life where th- in such a repeated refu- refusal to listen to the prompting of the voice of the Holy Spirit. Calling them to change and repent. That they get to this point in their life when they don't even see Jesus as lovely at all. That is what Jesus is talking about. They have, they have so lost sight of Jesus that they have no s- s- sense of sin. They have no sense of remorse. They have no sense of good or evil. And if there's none of, no sense of good or evil or remorse in your life, there can be no repentance. And therefore, there can be no forgiveness. That's what Jesus is saying. So, blasphemy against the Holy Spirit is really speaking about the role that the Holy Spirit plays in our salvation. And if we look to God as our Father and turn towards His glory and embrace His, His uh, call for our lives, then we uh, always have hope for our future and for His redemption for our lives. So, I hope that helps you understand a little bit more what I believe this portion is saying. But then I just would like to ask a third little question. If, if all of this is true in what I'm saying, then how should we live in the light of what these scriptures say? How, how should we live? Well, if you're saved and you know Jesus and you've put your trust in him, then just rest in that. Knowing that you have not committed any sin that is unforgivable. If you, if you trust in the grace of God and His kindness of your life, then you are forgiven. All your sin is forgiven. Rest in that with joy. Rest in that with peace. And encourage. Um, I want to encourage you in your life as you live freely and joyfully. And at the same time, I want to encourage you with this. And it is an encouragement. But at the same time, run from sin. <laughs> at the same time, uh, do all that you can f- to flee those things that want to pull you back and p- pull you down. Why am I saying that? Because ultimately, this is what sin does. Sin makes your heart hard. And the promise of the Scripture is that actually God will come and cut away our hearts of stone and give us a heart of flesh that can know Him and respond to Him and love Him and be in relationship with Him. But here's the problem. Sin, when it's not dealt with in our lives, begins to harden and callous what is soft and make it hard. And the point of Jesus in these verses is saying there comes a point sometimes that if you don't respond to that calling of God and that voice calling you to repent and to keep your heart soft, your heart becomes hard to the point that you can't even tell good from bad. So flee from sin. Wherever God puts his finger on your life and says, my son, I want you to change that. And for me, over the course of my life, I've had to deal with my own anger and my own sense of frustration, which I've sometimes taken out of my family. And uh, I think I'm better than I was. I said to some of the students um, at this Bible college, we were talking about what does it mean to walk by the Holy Spirit. And I said to them, if if you spoke to Helen and um, said, Am I different from when we got married 26 years ago? She would say yes. And I'm confident that she would say yes. Why? Because I'm brilliant. No, because the Holy Spirit has, has actually worked in my heart and worked in my life and changed me. And so I can say, you know, there's that, that joke of, um, who was it, Zaza Gabor. She says, uh, why do women complain that... Um, the, 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 the men they married are not, not the ones that they married 26 years ago when all they've been trying to do is change them for all these years. She's making a joke. But actually, that's what the Holy Spirit does, isn't it? The Holy Spirit, the person of the Holy Spirit, changes our hearts, changes us. We should not be the same people that we were five years ago. And so I want to speak this over you. This is how you know you're not backsliding. Are you different? Has God changed you? Is your heart softer, more open? Are there evidences in your life that, you, that there's more of the fruit of the Spirit? That's how we know we are getting closer to Jesus, because he's changing us, he's transforming us. So I'm not here to accuse anyone here this morning, all I'm here to say is let's, let's run from sin, let's embrace God's Holy Spirit in our lives, let's respond to him every moment that we can, every time that he puts a finger on anything in our lives, let's respond immediately, because we want our heart to become increasingly soft. Yes? Increasingly soft to him, increasingly open to him, and anything that hardens us, we want to repent of so it can be cut away. And so that's why Jesus said in Mark 9, have you ever thought about these radical statements of Jesus? Mark 9, 43, if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. Uh, and, you know, Jesus was just being, using an allegory there. He was kind of, it's a metaphor. It didn't really mean chop off your hand. Well, perhaps he did. <laughs> because he says, It's better for you to enter your life maimed than with two hands and go to hell, to the unquenchable fire. Don't ever believe people that say Jesus didn't talk about hell, that God God is so loving that he doesn't ever talk about hell or anything that is of judgment. Jesus talked about hell a lot. Go and read the gospel. He did. He warns us. He says, don't give yourself to that because it's going to bring separation from your father. Flee from sin. Don't embrace it, don't don't tolerate it in any way in your life, deal with it radically, and that's what that's pointing to, radical cutting off of those things that cause us to sin so that we can enjoy His presence, enjoy Him, amen? And so I found that Christians have a sentimental view of God's justice that really doesn't ever feel the horror at the thought of being utterly forsaken by God and separated from Him. And we we too sentimental, We too, and, but the Scripture is not. It's saying, actually, you can be separated from God. Don't give yourself to things that separate you from the presence of God in that sense. Don't let your heart become hard that you get to a place in your life where you don't know good from evil. And so, I want to encourage you, even if you're saved this morning, if you're here, flee from sin. Embrace the good news of Jesus, love the gospel, love each other, keep your heart soft. And if you don't know Jesus this morning, then I want to encourage you not only to flee from sin, but I also want to encourage you to run towards Jesus with all of your heart, to run towards him. I always find this, I find it, I find it, uh, I find it difficult sometimes. When people are going through a, a difficult time in their life, they sometimes separate themselves from the church. And I've always wondered, why do you do that? Please don't do that. Why? Because it's exactly the opposite of what the Scripture says we should do. It says, when we are in times of trouble, it says, run to the cross. It says, find God's presence for your life. Run to the cross. Run towards God in a time of trouble, not away from Him. And so many people do exactly the opposite. And uh, you you find out after months that, they you know, uh, we haven't seen you around. Are you okay? Oh, no, I'm going through a hard time. So I separate myself from God's people. I want to say to you, are you crazy? Please don't do that. Run towards God's people. Run towards His presence. Run towards the Holy Spirit where you can find mercy. Run towards the table. Run towards the cross. Don't run away from it. When you're running away from it, you're putting yourself even more of a terrible position. Please don't do that, guys. If you're going through a hard time, you know what we want in our church community? It's a place where you feel so secure and so loved that when you really are going through a hard time, your first response is to go to your mate in your home group or to one of the people that you respect in the church and to put your arm around them and say, please help me, I'm going through a terrible time. And you know they're going to love you. That's what community is. That's what the church is. That's what it should be. Not the opposite. Not when we're feeling insecure that we withdraw even more so no one even knows what's going on and then we find ourselves in a place of absolute desperation and we kind of fall down in a heap. No. I'm trying to encourage you this morning. Please run towards the cross. Run towards Jesus. Run towards fellowship. Run towards community. Not away from it. Why? Why? Because it keeps our hearts soft and then we can enjoy his presence and know him forever so if you don't know Jesus this morning run from sin but I want to encourage you run towards Jesus and fall into the arms of grace and repent and say sorry and be forgiven so you can enjoy the, the fullness of God's measure in your life you see there was this warning that Jesus spoke to the Pharisees, but here I want you to—I want to conclude by this—that you hear this above all things this morning. There's an offer of grace to all of us. There's an offer of forgiveness to all of us. All sins will be forgiven the sons of men, whatever blasphemies they utter. There's nothing that you have said, nothing that you have done that cannot be forgiven by the grace of God. That's the good news. Of the gospel. Everyone should say, amen. Only repent. Say sorry. Acknowledge what you've done. And then once you've done that, what does the scripture say? Believe. Believe in the goodness of God. Believe in, the, in his kindness for your life. Don't be proud. It's about humility, you see. Don't resist the kindness of God. That's all, that's all, required, that's all that is required of us. To believe, to repent, to acknowledge that and to fall into the arms of grace. You know, um, uh, in our marriage, uh, I, I grew up in a very sort of aggressive home. Um, there were three, three sons, and my dad was quite a quiet guy, and my mom was very quiet, but the, the, three, the three boys, we, all, we were all full of t-toss around for, for many, many years. Um, Yes, and so when we would have, we, we regularly had f- family dinners and uh, sometimes when people came into our, uh, our house and we were talking over the table, it was like they thought we were at war, you know, because everyone's opinions were so strong and you had to kind of, and then I grew up in a boarding school as well, which was the worst thing that ever happened to me. Can I just say this to you? If you're considering sending your kids to boarding school, don't, don't, don't pay 30 grand to send your kids to some fancy school where they'll be in a boarding establishment. Nothing good comes of it. I'm sorry if you send your kids to boarding school. I'm happy you disagree with me. I just want to say in my life, nothing good came from it. Nothing. Take your 35 grand and put it into things for your family to enjoy while they're together. That was a bit of a rant, but anyway... Uh, so yes, so I learned to be even more aggressive at boarding school. And I was always small, so I used to fight with everybody, just to kind of like, have some kind of identity, you know? So why am I saying all of this? I don't even know why I'm saying all of this. Um, what what was the, hey? I didn't have a point, because I was trying to finish with god 's offer of grace uh to you and not resisting and and yeah oh yes so so um people would come into our home and, and and think we were we were at war with each other and and it was very vocal and very aggressive and so in my in my marriage i 've had to unlearn that, yes, because how many of you know that helen's very quiet and i 'm very loud, and so we would often like um In our early years, and the boys can probably tell you still sometimes in our later years, uh, I would be speaking very loudly, and Helen would just be like disintegrating. And I'm thinking that I'm actually being quite restrained, but I'm not. I say all that to say that actually God has changed me, and I think I know that I'm not the person that I was 20 years ago. Why? Because the grace of God and the kindness of God transforms all of us if we will open our hearts and allow God to do that. So I want to encourage you this morning. The grace of, avail- uh, the offer of His grace is available to all of us today. And if you hear His voice today, what does Hebrews say? Say, "Doesn't don't harden your heart. Don't put it off one moment. If you know God is speaking to you about something this morning, don't put it off. Deal with it. Repent. Embrace the new that He has for you. Don't harden your heart. And if you don't know Christ as Savior this morning, then I'm asking you to respond now. Don't put it off. If today you hear God's voice, repent today. Embrace His grace today and begin to live in the freedom that He has for you. Don't wait for tomorrow. You don't know what tomorrow holds. Take hold of His grace today. Today is the day of salvation. Repent. Believe today. Amen. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, I thank you for your favor upon us. I'm aware, Lord, that wasn't my best message I've ever preached in my life. But I want to thank you, Lord, that your, your grace is available. I want to thank you, Lord, today that there's no sin that is unforgivable for those that have come to, to you and you have transformed their lives by the power of your grace. And we want to just acknowledge that and say thank you, Lord, for washing us so that we are as white as snow. But I pray to you, Lord, for soft hearts this morning in all of our lives. I pray that you'd help us. I pray that your kindness would help us. I pray that we would learn to obey the voice of your Spirit every moment that you put your finger on something in our lives. Please help us, Jesus. We want to become more and more like your Son. We want to know the fruit of the Spirit in our lives more and more. So help us, Lord. Help us to run towards you, not away from you. Help us when we're struggling not to separate ourselves but to run towards you from which your grace flows. Help us, Lord. Help us with our friends and family to encourage each other that we would encourage our friends to run towards you, not away from you. That we be those that through kindness draw people into your kingdom so that you can speak and refresh and change and save. And ultimately, Lord, our trust is in you this morning. So I pray, Lord, for our church community. I pray, Lord, that we would know the evidence of your grace in transformed lives. I pray that you'd continue to transform every single one of us. And if there's anyone here this morning, Lord, that doesn't know you, I pray that right now in their hearts they would respond to you, say sorry, and let your grace come and transform their lives as they turn towards you and not away from you. I trust you for these things in the powerful name of Jesus. Everyone says, Amen.